0: Well, good morning. I'm Brandon Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant. And if you're a visitor, let me extend a warm welcome to you as well. In fact, um, let me uh, reiterate Camper's announcement, that blue sheet you'll find in your bulletin. If you're a newcomer to Grace in the last few months, maybe even today, come to our house for dessert on Friday. We'd, we'd love for you to come. It'd be a good chance to get to know others that are new as well as some other folks in the church. So we'd, we'd really encourage you to think about that. Now you come on a morning when we are beginning a new sermon series and we're going to be looking at the book of James. We're going to be doing this from now until probably sometime mid-May with a brief break for, uh, uh, for Palm Sunday and for Easter. But we jump in today. So if you'd like to turn to the book of James, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1011. Let me pray for us and then we're going to read the first verse of the book of James. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning very much in need of your word. Would you speak to us even today and over the course of this series uh, through this book of James? Would you open it up to us that we might see your goodness to us in Jesus and that we might better grasp what it means to live faithful lives of obedience and holiness out of response for your great love? So would you begin that good work in us even this morning? And we look to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. We'll read the first verse this morning to start us as we look at the book of James, but actually towards the end of this, we're going to read straight through the book of James, and we're going to get it all in one shot, just as the original audiences would uh, as they heard James. But first, what I want to do this morning is simply kind of set us up for this series that we're going to be looking at over the next number of weeks. So we're going to give a little bit of background information, and then we're going to talk for, about James's concerns for us as followers of Jesus in this world. And then, as I said, we're, going to, we're just going to hear James. We're going to read it straight through. So first, let's, uh, let me give you a little information on the background of James. Now, this, unlike most sermons, this, this is a part that sounds a little lecturey. So you know, sit, sit back, settle in, remember your college days, and let me tell you a few things about James. Uh, first, who wrote it? Okay. That on the surface it sounds like a fairly obvious question, right? The Gospel according, or the Epistle of James. Well, there are at least three uh, relatively good options for who might have read or might have written James for us. There are three prominent Jameses. In the new testament uh, i'm going to give you two wrong answers and one right answer as to who we think actually wrote this book the first one uh, james the apostle one of the 12 disciples the brother of john if you uh you pick up the new testament go to one of the gospels or also in acts and you, you read the the list of the original 12 disciples one of those who gets listed is james the brother of john uh, if you know something about the gospels you know that jesus spent most of his time with these 12 people but even from those People, there were three that he spent most of his time with that were with him uh, in some, um, some of the most remarkable parts of his ministry, and these were uh, James uh, and Peter and John. That's the James that is one possibility. He was martyred by uh, Herod, King Herod, in uh, AD 42. You can read about that in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. And the short uh, answer here is that he likely was killed too soon to have written this book. So it wasn't James, the apostle. second one we get is, mentioned in the New Testament, is James, the son of Alphaeus. The same list, when you go to look at the list of the 12 disciples, there's this other guy, James, the son of Alphaeus. And that is all we know about James. He makes it into the list. We're sure, I'm sure that he lived a long and prosperous life, had wonderful ministry, but we don't know anything about him. He drops off the pages of scripture right after those lists uh, of the the disciples. Now that leaves a, a third James in the one that we think probably actually wrote this book. And he was James, the half-brother of Jesus. He was the son of Mary and Joseph. And if you remember anything about the family of Jesus, throughout Jesus' ministry and his earthly life, his family didn't buy in to what he was doing. There was, one, there was one situation where Jesus is teaching, and his family shows up at the door, his mother and his brothers, knocking on the door because they want to bring him home because Jesus has turned into the family cracked pot. And he, you know, he's out teaching the crowds, and he's proclaiming these great things, and he must have certainly lost his mind. They tried to take him home with him. His, his own brothers didn't believe in him in the course of um, Jesus' life. And so apparently James came to faith after the death and resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul mentions uh, Jesus' appearances after he was, was raised from the dead, and, and he mentions coming and appearing to the 12 disciples, uh, the 11 at that point. And he mentions coming uh, and appearing to a crowd of over 500 people. And then Paul says, and then he appeared to James, and then he appeared to me. And that's the James that's being talked about here. This James, the half-brother of Jesus, went on to become one of uh, really the central leaders in the early Jerusalem church, the the first people who believed in uh, in Christ. And this James was later martyred. In A.D. 62, he was stoned to death by the Jewish authorities for proclaiming Christ and for leading this church. And we think that he is the James who wrote this letter. And given that he was killed in A.D. 62, we think it was likely written before that. Uh, Likely written in the mid-40s. Now, uh, here's why all this background information is important. Because one of the things that we're going to read, and we're going to talk about it over these next number of weeks, and you'll hear it today, is that James says some incredibly strong things about the importance of our works, of the importance of the things that we do as followers of Jesus. Now, some have looked at this letter and said, well, if you go over to flip over to Paul, you hear Paul saying things like this, we are justified by faith alone through the work of Jesus, his death and resurrection for us, by faith alone. And then you get to Paul, or excuse me, you get to James, and James says things like, we're not justified just by our faith, we're justified by what we do. So many scholars uh, and others have looked at this and said, there must be some sort of irreconcilable contradiction here. Now, As we're going to see, I I think these are not contradictory statements, but, but read in light of each other, they're actually addressing, Paul and James were addressing different concerns, and they actually fit together very well. But one of the reasons I point out even the dating and who wrote it was because As this is written in the early 40s, James, out of concern for his congregation, his scattered congregation, he writes to them, and he says, uh, and he's addressing this teaching of Paul that has gone out, that has been twisted by some. Because apparently there were those who took what Paul said, well, we're justified by faith alone, and they took that to say, well, then it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter how we live our lives because we're justified by faith. And if you know Paul well enough, you know that's uh, very clearly a twisting of what he said and one that he attacks himself in the book of Romans. But apparently James is coming across followers of, of Paul who have taken that message and twisted it. And it seems from the reading of James, it seems like he has not actually met Paul yet. He will. Acts chapter 15 talks about this great council that meets in Jerusalem to settle some of the questions of the early church as the gospel goes out, not only to Jews, but also to people of a non-Jewish background, to Gentiles, and they have to wrestle with all the questions that come up of now people of mixed ethnicity following the same Lord. And James doesn't mention much of that, so it leads scholars to believe that it must have been written early when he's heard of Paul's teaching and the twisting of it, but he hasn't really had those sit-down, face-to-face conversations with Paul yet. So he brings up these incredibly important concerns about what does it mean for us to Follow Jesus and live lives in response to that. Okay, now, who is he writing to? Verse 1 mentions, uh, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, or the diaspora. This is a term that comes from the Old Testament, when even in the Old Testament, God's people are invaded, first by Assyria and then by Babylon, and they are sent to live in the far corners of the world. They're sent out, they're dispersed from the land of Israel. And James is now writing about a similar second dispersion, because all these people have come to faith in Jerusalem. And then, not long into the life of the early church, in Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen, uh, one of the followers and leaders of Jesus' people, is uh, martyred. He's stoned to death by the religious authorities. And it says in chapter 8, verse 1, that right after that, this incredible uh, persecution broke out in Jerusalem against the new Jewish Christians, and they are scattered all over the place. So here we have James, their pastor, who stayed in Jerusalem writing to his scattered people, writing to encourage them, writing to exhort them, writing to speak to them about a life of following Jesus in the midst of very hard circumstances. Okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean for us? How is this going to apply for us? Well, it takes us right to the heart of the book of James. James has concern for us as followers of Jesus living in our world, in this world, at this time. Because James knows how we work. He knows what we struggle with. And he wants us to know that a life lived out in faith and obedience and love to God is one that's meant to play out in true holiness in true obedience and true change of life. That's what he wants us to know, and he's going to walk us through a life that reflects that. Now, if you look in your bulletin, I think in there we have printed the the title for this series that we're going to use here for the book of James, and it's called Faith Works. Now, there are two good and and life-giving Christian ways to read that title, uh, and there are also two utterly pagan ways to read that that will spiritually kill you. Okay, so it's really important that we read it correctly. Uh, First, a couple ways to read that title and and have it really kill you. A couple ways to read James and have James kill you. Uh, Maybe like me, you grew up in a place where fireworks were both legal and enjoyed. Uh, My part of Tennessee, they were. And so every 4th of July, my family would stock up on fireworks. And I was a particular fan of the Roman candle. Maybe you remember the Roman candle. A little stick, you light one in, and it shoots these balls of fire up into the sky, and they light up, and they're beautiful. You hold them like this. Well, the year that I held it like this uh, was the year that it shot one of these beautiful balls of flame into the sky, and then the other seven little Roman candle balls all ignited at once and shot into my stomach and burned a hole in my shirt. Children, beware of fireworks. But the point is, is things that are uh, beautiful like that can also be incredibly deadly, can be incredibly dangerous. And honestly, that's the book of James for us. It has a lot of beautiful and clarifying things to say for us about living in Jesus. But if we read it wrong, it is going to be like the wrong end of that Roman candle. And it's going to actually bring us more harm than good. So it matters how we read it. So here's two ways to read it wrongly and to read it in a way that's really going to bring harm rather than good. You can read this, faith works in, in this sense. Try faith, it works. It makes your life work for you. Faith, it's the technique that works you know, using professed faith in Christ to give a little divine oomph to your plans that you have for your life. Uh, you know, this is a, a fairly common kind of view of spirituality in our culture. We live in a, in a culture where, at least in pockets, spirituality is, is very much in, it's very much accepted and, and well thought of because being a spiritual person is part of being a, a well-rounded and, and complete person. It's, it's why you can turn on daytime talk shows and hear the latest spiritual guru get up and and be promoted because there's something in us that wants to just find this this thing that's going to make life work for us and if it's spirituality then great we'll try that too what's the problem with faith works well following jesus becomes a technique for achieving what you want out of life but god becomes a means to an end rather than an end in and of himself he becomes a need meter rather than God who calls us into a relationship that we might know and love Him. God wants to give us Himself, but often we turn faith as a way to get something else from Him. And salvation becomes a matter of enlightenment rather than rescue from sin, which is what's offered to us in Jesus. So often this kind of reading on faith is an unchanged, unchallenged self-interest masquerading for our love for God. Or another bad way to read this, faith, parentheses, in my own works. Faith in my own works. And it's a particular danger of James for us because there's so much here about how to live, how to act, what to do, so much good practical stuff. I mean, have you ever listened to a sermon or, or, or been reading the Bible on your own, and you got to a certain point where you just wanted to say, just tell me what to do. Just spell it out for me. I'll do it. I'll follow the steps. Just... Tell me what I'm supposed to do next. And, and some of that impulse can be legitimate because the Bible is meant to be applied. It's not meant to just hover two feet above the ground uh, in some sort of ethereal existence. It's meant to be put to work in our real lives, really applied. But that can also mean, you know, that impulse of just tell me what to do can mean just give me some clear, simple steps of what to do so that I can know that I've got my bases covered, so that I can know that God loves me, so I can get my spouse to meet my needs, so I can get my kids to earn better grades, to stop making so much noise in the house, to pick up their clothes, to love Jesus, to be good Christians, to be good citizens, to get a full scholarship to college, you know? Or just tell me what to do so God will be pleased with me and I'll finally be successful in my job or my finances will turn around or I'll be godly enough finally that God will finally give me that spouse. i have so desperately been praying for. Just tell me what to do. In other words, give me a formula. Give me a recipe for spiritual and other success. A uh, formula, a recipe for godliness so I can finally know that God loves me and He forgives me because I'm doing such a good job for Him, right? Because I mean, after all, I'm, I lead a small group or I'm an elder or I'm a deacon or I go to three Bible studies a week. I read my Bible every day. I never miss church. I even take notes during sermons Have I done enough to make God love me yet? Some of you may know Martin Luther, the uh, 16th century reformer, uh, referred to the book of James as the epistle of straw, the worthless epistle. Because I think that's the way Luther mistakenly read James. It's all this list of of things we had to do, how to live. But for Luther, he read James and he said, I don't see enough in here of James really pushing us to the finished work of Christ, of pointing us to Jesus. Now, Uh, James is in the canon of scripture uh, and contrary to Luther many, many people throughout the course of history of the church and maybe you as well have read James and found great benefit in it. In fact, Luther goes on in other places to quote James favorably, but maybe that was part of Luther's impulse there that he was scared that we could take James and use it so badly because he knew that would be dangerous. Here's this list of things to do. If we can just do it, God will accept us. Okay, those are two bad ways to take it. There are also two good life-giving Christian ways of taking this title, Faith Works, and two good Christian ways of taking the book of James. First would be faith works as in a verb. Faith goes to work. Faith expresses itself in work. Faith drives us to good and right work. Or faith-work, okay? You know, works that spring from faith. Works that we do, ways that we live that are born out of, a life of faith that wholly puts its trust in God and in Jesus' goodness to us. Those are both good ways to take this because that's the concern of James. That God comes in and he changes our lives, he brings us to Jesus, and now he calls us to this life of beautiful and holy obedience that we might radiate God's presence and character and love to the world around us. James really thinks the gospel means to come and do something in us. Now, listen to some of... James's concerns in his letter, so we're gonna, I'm going to run through these, and then we 're going to read through James, and, and so we 'll be listening for these. <clears throat> and these are the things that we 're going to be talking about over the next number of weeks, concerns that James brings up in his letter. First, he talked very strongly about being the importance of being doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Doers of the word, not just hearers. In other words, James is saying it is incredibly important that you not be hypocrites. That you not profess one thing without showing it in your life. One of the um, main criticisms leveled against Christ's church is that it's full of hypocrites. It preaches all these great things, and how much real change do we see? James says, Don't be hypocrites. Speaks uh, at length about wealth and poverty. God cares about how we use our money and how we treat the poor and how we spend our money and how we use the resources that God has given us to bless others around us rather than simply consuming for ourselves. James tells us that God cares about social justice. God cares about immigrant workers and sweatshops in Asia and the global slave trade. And he cares about children and women caught in uh, brothels in Cambodia. And he cares about women and children caught in brothels in America. God cares that justice be done because he is a God of justice. James reminds us of this. Another concern of his, James talks about the difference between true and false wisdom. Bruce Walkie, an Old Testament scholar, defines wisdom this way, as the art of skillful living, the art of skillful living, And James takes up the the theme of wisdom. What does it mean to live well and wisely instead of foolishly and destructively? James talks about about having steadfastness in the trials of life. How can our lives have real resilience in the struggles and trials of life? What difference does Jesus make in our lives when we encounter any of the myriads of difficulties that come our way as we live lives in a fallen world? How can we become people who actually become stronger rather than weaker in trial? How can we become people marked by a deep and authentic joy that cannot be crushed by the world? James has something to tell us about this. <clears throat> James has something to tell us about speech ethics, about how we use our words. He goes on to say, how is it that we can praise God and then in the same breath we can turn around and gossip and slander and verbally abuse other people people made in the image of God how can that possibly be he uses all kinds of vivid metaphors for our tongue he talks about our tongue being a fire a restless evil he says it's difficult to tame he says it sets the whole course of our lives on fire and the tongue itself is set on fire by hell vivid images because James thinks that using our words well to bring blessing rather than destruction and curse is one of the deepest struggles that we have. He talks about anger and jealousy and coveting. Brothers, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And he talks about prayer, and he talks about healing. Are you sick? Are you struggling? He says, pray. Have the elders of the church pray over you. God can heal. James talks about this. Okay. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that he knows Christians struggle with this kind, these kinds of sins. He knows that we're often caught in the grip of sin and that we are in constant need of confrontation and conviction and the truth being told to us. Constant need of reminders of the goodness of Jesus to us, his people. In other words, he thinks we need this letter. He thinks we have anger and jealousy at work in our lives. He thinks that we don't use our words as they are meant to be used. He thinks our tongues are unbridled and full of deadly poison. He thinks we need encouragement to be steadfast in the very difficult struggles of life. And he thinks that we need to pray for real and godly wisdom that can clear the fog out of our eyes. He thinks we are prone to favoritism and discrimination. He thinks we are apt to misuse our wealth and neglect the poor so he's talking to us and so we need to listen because James wants us to have life real life deep life in Jesus and most of all because this word that comes to us through James is not simply James's exhortation to us it is God's exhortation to us god wants these things for us James's desire is that we would walk in deep relationship with Jesus and so is God's that we would have a holy Shining, humble, and beautiful life that gratefully and joyfully reflects the goodness of God. That's what He wants for us. So here's my question for you Are you willing to listen to James? Are you willing to listen to God over these coming weeks and coming months? Are you willing to let this letter speak to you? Willing to let it get under your skin? Willing to let it confront you? Willing to let it be addressed? To you in particular, and not first, to your spouse, to your children, your neighbor, your coworker, the unbelieving world around us, addressed to you, addressed to me. Let it speak to us. And may that speaking to us begin today. So we are now going to hear James speaking to us. So I'd like to ask those who are readers to come forward and have a seat back here. And we're going to read straight through the book of James. Now, if it is of help to you to follow along and read, then by all means do so. But if it would be of help to you just to listen and to hear the words of James, and that's how the first audiences of James's letter would have heard it, then just listen and hear James speaking to us. <clears throat>
1: James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. its flower falls, and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my fellow brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world.
2: My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him?
3: Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace.
4: What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, For him, it is sin.
5: Come now, you you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours.
0: Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word to us through the mouth of your servant James. And so we pray in these coming weeks that you would speak to us. Would we be doers of the word and not merely hearers? And would that be to your glory and for our good? And we pray this in the name of Jesus.